I was going to preach from Romans this morning, but uh, we're having the Lord's Supper this, this morning, so I decided instead we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which pertains to the Lord's Supper. The more I prayed about it, the more I felt drawn to this passage. So we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 27 this morning. As you're finding it, the way we participate in communion or the Lord's Supper at Doolin's Grove, we plan it each year uh, quarterly. Once a quarter, we participate in the Lord's Supper. Uh, and occasionally we'll do it at other times if there's a, a special occasion that it seems appropriate. But usually it's once a quarter. Uh, there are churches that do it every week, every Sunday. I personally think that we could probably do it more frequently than once a quarter. But when we consider doing it as frequent as every week, I'll bet that the same objection probably arises in, in almost all of our minds. It'll become too familiar. It'll become just a habit. It'll become just a routine and it won't be special anymore. Uh, is that kind of what you thought, you think about that? Well, I think that that's, that's a valid um, thing to consider, especially in light of the passage we're going to study this morning. The passage we're going to study this morning is very serious and very clear that we cannot take the Lord's Supper lightly. So if we did do it every week, perhaps we would begin to take it lightly, and that is a very real and serious danger. Um, so this morning, I just it's a simple sermon to remind us of the importance of what we're about to participate in, and hopefully it'll become more meaningful and maybe even transformative for each of you uh, and myself. So the Lord's Supper is a regular remembrance of Jesus's body and blood broken and shed on our behalf. It's the regular remembrance that he told his church to do so that we would not get very far away from remembering what he did for us on the cross. He told us to baptize and he told us to remember him in the Lord's Supper. These are the two clearest things that we should do as a church. So it symbolizes everything that we're about. When we eat that little piece of bread and when we drink that little tiny cup, it's a powerful symbol of Jesus Christ, our only hope, our only Lord. Martin Luther, when he would prepare, prepare the elements to serve, his hands would be shaking so much that he couldn't do it. He would spill the wine because he actually believed that it became the body, the actual body and the actual blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, this has been a very commonly held belief in the church. We don't believe that, but you have to admire how sincere and how serious he took it, that he couldn't even serve it. It just, it was too much for him. We need to get closer to that. It's not that we believe that it actually is Jesus's physical body and his physical blood, but it's that we do really believe the truths that lie behind the elements. So it's a serious matter. Uh, I want us to read together 1 Corinthians 11 verses 27 through 32. Now this passage comes right after Paul tells the Corinthian church about the Lord's Supper. It comes right after the passage that I typically read as we participate in the Lord's Supper. So if you would, if you're able, please stand as an expression of honor as we read God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 beginning at verse 27. 
Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's pray. Father, please give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Help us to distinguish your voice in this text. Or please work in our hearts to prepare us to participate in this ordinance. Help us to sense the seriousness of it and remember clearly the truths about Jesus Christ that it represents. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So we have here a warning, a consequence, and then a bit of instruction. So here's the warning. Unworthy participation in the Lord's Supper equals guilt concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Unworthy participation in the Lord's Supper equals guilt concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That's what he says very plainly in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, I toyed with the idea about actually bringing out the bottle that we get our juice from and the bag that we get our communion bread from to show you. It's, it's a bottle of juice, grape juice. It's, it's a bag of, of little um, crackers. You can get them at the grocery store. There is nothing magical in the actual physical elements. I remember one Sunday morning, I cannot remember which youth it was, and none of them are here to defend themselves, so I'm going to say it was Will, because I think it was Will. <laughs> Mike and Denise are like, ugh. I think it was Will Boston. We were going through the kitchen. It was before Sunday school, and he was thirsty, and he opened the fridge, and he grabbed just an unassuming bottle of grape juice and poured him some and drank it. I said, Will, I'm pretty sure that's the communion juice. And he was like, oh. Like you can see, he like felt like he had committed a travesty. But in that moment, it, you know, it really was just juice. There's nothing magical about this juice or wine as some churches use or this bread or cracker that you're about to receive. But what lies behind it is gravely serious. So serious that if you come to it in what Paul calls an unworthy manner, it's as though you are remotely crucifying Jesus Christ from your pew. You know, we have these drone attacks now where our military can kill people in another land in a swivel chair at an office desk and then go home to their family. It's creating all these ethical questions. You might feel very removed from Jesus' death because it was a long, long time ago in, a, in a, a land far away. But when we come to something like this in the church, flippantly or in a cavalier way, it's as though we are crucifying him from our pew. It is incredibly serious. 
So their casual um, unworthiness that he is addressing is these folks in this church, in the Corinthian church, would come to the table not thinking about Jesus, not thinking about each other, and they would actually eat so much that they were being gluttonous and drink so much that they were being drunk. And that seems absurd. It was different back then. They didn't have, imagine how many little tiny cups you'd have to drink to get drunk. But when we come casually and unworthily, it's the same level of seriousness. So we're not going to be uh, gluttonous with our portions, obviously. And we're not going to get drunk. But I'm warning you from Scripture, do not take this lightly. So that is our warning. And then he tells us the consequence if we don't heed the warning. And it's judgment. He says in verse 29, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So the consequence, now I realize this may seem bizarre to us, but the consequence that Paul lays out there for coming unworthily to the Lord's table is judgment in a physical sense. That it's conceivable that some of our people, Doolin's Grove people, may have gotten sick, may have died, because they didn't take this seriously. And it's hard for us to imagine. My Sunday school class, or more specifically, Garrett, insisted that I mention to you our Sunday school lesson this morning. I planned our Sunday school lesson totally separate from the sermon. And then as I was teaching it, I realized, man, this really fits in with the sermon really well. We were in Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira were killed. Does anybody remember this? Basically, in the early church, everyone was selling all their possessions and and putting it together in one big pot to give to the needy, and people were just completely open-handed with their possessions. It would be as though some uh, Holy Spirit wind blew through Doolin's Grove, and individual families just started selling their homes and their property and bringing all the money and saying, here, use this, give it to crisis assistance, do whatever needs to be done with it. So imagine that that began happening at Doolin's Grove, you would start to maybe feel a little pressure that, you know, the really spiritual people seem to be radically generous these days. Uh, Maybe I should do that too. So this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, I must say Sapphira, I I almost want to look back at it. I'm going to keep going Sapphira. That's right, okay. They felt the pressure to do the same thing. So they sold their land and they came under the pretense that they were giving all the proceeds to the church. When in reality, they were only giving a portion of the proceeds. So they came, it seemed like they were doing a good thing, but they were doing it dishonestly. So Peter says, is this all the proceeds from your land sale? And they say, yes. And God strikes them dead on the spot. As Garrett read the passage for us this morning, and as he read, as he got to where God killed Ananias, he said, what? And then he got into the next paragraph where God kills Sapphira. And he said, what? That seems incredibly harsh, doesn't it? That God would just strike dead someone? After they had given a gift to the church, 
because they didn't give all? Well, we found as we studied this morning, it wasn't because they didn't give all the proceeds. It's because they tried to look as though they were giving all the proceeds. See, God hates pretense in his people. It does us no good to pretend like we care about Jesus. It does us no good at all. In fact, it does damage because God hates it. You know, I've shared with you before how Jesus was, he was just so gentle and so patient and so kind with sinners. But when he got into conversations with the religious hypocrites, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he was ruthless. He had no patience for people who stood behind religious pretense. Something about the character of God makes it utterly serious that we do not do things like our giving to the church and especially participate in the Lord's Supper in a hypocritical or deceptive way. It is incredibly, incredibly important that we take note of this. So why is he so serious? Why does he judge so harshly that people would even get sick and weak and even die? Well, he says why in the passage. I don't know if you noticed it. At the end of verse 32, the very end of the passage, he says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be be condemned along with the world. So God's goal in being extremely strict on this point is to discipline us so that we won't be judged along with the world. And that word discipline is important. And we know from other scriptures that God disciplines his children. You know, my children were in here earlier and they're not now, but I discipline my children. Why? Because I hate them and I don't want them to have any fun? No, because I love them. Now, I don't discipline your kids because they're not my children. But I discipline my children. See, God is a really good father. He disciplines his children. And the more dangerous the rebellion, the more harsh the discipline. Because he loves us so much. So he's not going to just allow his sons and daughters to drift into a casual flippancy about Jesus Christ. Because that's too destructive to you and it's too damaging to your relationship with him. He is not going to allow it. So judgment and discipline here is harsh. So we have our warning. Unworthy participation in the Lord's Supper is the same as crucifying Christ. It's the same as being guilty of his body and his blood. And we know the consequence, that he will discipline us. And then we have the instruction of what to do about this. In verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So what I'm calling you to this morning and what I've been called to as I've studied this is self-examination. Now this isn't always comfortable, but it's incredibly important. This is between you and God right now. So I don't know what sin is in your life and in your heart that you've brought in here with you. And you don't know what sin is in my life and in my heart that I brought in here with me. But God knows. 
down to the very core of who we are. So let us examine ourselves. Now I need to talk to you just a bit about this. This is not like some random drug test. When we do the Lord's Supper, it's not like God surprising you and testing you to see if there's sin in your life. He knows there's sin in our lives. If you've had a bad week this week, in terms of your attitude or in terms of your uh, desires or in terms of your decisions, that doesn't mean that you're unworthy to participate in the Lord's Supper. What makes you unworthy is coming in with sin in your heart and not caring, not allowing the broken body and the spilt blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from it. See, the Lord's Supper isn't about us becoming perfect and then coming to celebrate our perfection with the bread and the drink. It's about Jesus being perfect and us coming to the Lord's Supper, acknowledging our sinfulness and crying out to him for forgiveness and cleansing. So I don't want you to feel some vague sense of condemnation based on this. I don't want you to just feel beaten up and bad, but you're not really sure why. Uh, My hope is that the Holy Spirit will convict you of clear, specific sin so that you can confess it and receive forgiveness and cleansing and release from it and forgiveness so that you can come out of the dark and into the light. Okay, does that make sense? I, I really don't, we're not meant to come to the Lord's Supper beaten down thinking, oh, I'm so terrible. We're meant to come to the Lord's Supper rejuvenated by being forgiven, thinking Jesus is so awesome. So for me, a passage that has helped me is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the passage in which it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the passage that has helped me to prepare for the Lord's Supper this morning. And I recognize that I have an unfair advantage over you because I had already heard this word from God this week and I've had time to to deal with it. Um, Whereas right now, you're hearing it now. So one of the reasons we take our time as we do the Lord's Supper is to give us all plenty of time for the self-examination. So I want to read this passage to you before I invite the deacons to come forward. Let this passage just sort of guide your thinking guide your self-examination. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So are there any areas of darkness in your life that you just need to come before your God and bring into the light. Because if you have these areas, these pockets of sin, unconfessed, unrepentant sin, you do not have fellowship with the Father. And you, you may not participate in the Lord's Supper as though you do. But again, don't, don't receive that as a, a slap to the face. Receive that as an invitation to bring it out into the light. Like the prodigal son returning home to his father, God is, is not going to crush you. He's going to run out and embrace you. He's going to help you to repent and change. He's going to forgive you. But you do have to deal with it. So he goes on. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So are there areas in darkness, of darkness in your life that have fractured your relationship with the Father and your relationship with other people? Are there other people that you truly do need to go to and say, I sinned against you in this way. Will you forgive me? Now, if so, I would encourage you not to participate in the Lord's Supper this morning until you've had a chance to go and be cleared up with these people. Now, saying that means that some of us may let the plate pass. Don't look around and judge, you know, see someone let the plate pass and be like, oh, I wonder what they did. This is between each of us as individuals and our Lord. But see, when you go, when you do that, you, you receive cleansing, you receive forgiveness. And this is, this is our bread and butter. This is what Christianity is all about. He goes on to say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if you're hearing all this and you're thinking, well, this isn't about me. This is about that guy sitting in the pew behind me. You're deceiving yourself. We all have sin. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We all need Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would convict us of specific things. You know, we have an enemy who's called the accuser, and it can get very confusing. Because we'll have the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, you know, this isn't right, this is destructive to you, this is hindering your relationship with your father. And then we have our enemy saying, you're a terrible person, you're just generally guilty, you're just generally shameful. I I want you to hear the Holy Spirit's conviction in crisp, clear ways about specific sin. And I want you to disregard our enemy who would just want to make you feel lousy. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't just want to make us feel lousy. He wants us to change and be renewed and refreshed. Coming into the light in this manner is what the Lord's Supper is all about. So we're about to partake in the Lord's Supper. Do not partake in it unworthily. I'm not going to know. Nobody else is going to know if you do or not, but... God knows, and it's very important to him that we, we come to it with a cleansed conscience. It's very important to him because he loves you so much, and because he is so holy, and he's not going to put up with it in his children. So examine yourself, and I want to pray for us toward this end, and then I'll invite the deacons to come forward once I finish. Would you bow with me?